below the waves with Egunfemi Huesahunu. I am fortunate enough to have with me Ia Aditoyesi Ibijoke, aka Malania, aka Nia Wilson, uh, one of the foremost um, black women leaders in community in Durham, uh, North Carolina. And also one other special thing about um, Mama Nia, about um, the person we'll be speaking with this afternoon on this podcast. She has been a director and a leader in community of an organization known as Spirit House in North Carolina. And why I mentioned that for uh, listeners is that this doesn't happen every day, that you get an organization that exists, that's formed, that stays together, um, that works, that is respected and loved as Spirit House is over that length of period of length and period of time. So it's an important thing to mention because longevity means something. And before we get into it a little bit with um, Mama Nia and Ib uh, Joke, we're going to mention a quote, which is often the way in which we begin these sessions on breathing below the waves and the quotes from one james baldwin the great uh, african-american author love does not begin and end the way we seem to think it does love is a battle love is a war love is a growing up that's from james baldwin so how are you doing here how are you feeling? Last year, Baba, I am feeling well. I'm feeling feeling pretty good. I'm sitting um, on a deck, looking out at the woods. Beautiful. Um, having some wonderful respite breathing time. Yeah, breathing, and we'll, we'll speak about that. I've been, I've I felt like since we've uh, began this podcast. Um, I owed you an episode just for the fact of speaking about the, the, the breath work that you do. And we'll dig into that a little bit later on. Um, but first of all, um, tell us a little bit about what um, formed you and what actually brought you to Durham. How, how have you landed and ended up being the figure that you are, the person that you are in leadership in Durham? Mm. <laughs> I mean, I one, I think it's a blessing from my from my ancestors. So sure. let me let me begin there. Um, I am originally from Norwalk, Connecticut, which is about ten hours east of, of North Carolina. I was born and raised there. I did not know I would land in North Carolina. I came to North Carolina because my sister was here and. Um, and at the time, I was raising a niece of mine who um, had a lot of uh, disabilities, and um, I came to North Carolina to be with my sister so that I could have the help that was needed. Um, my parents also moved here a year later so that we could do that right. work together, um, of caring for her together. Um, and and then um, and then we stayed. We, my, my sister and I made a commitment when my parents moved here. Um, that we were going to be 
we would do the work of caring for our parents as they grew older. Um, and so um, there was not an option to go back or to go anywhere else mm. um, as long as my parents said that was a commitment, that that was a commitment, that was what black people do. Mm-hmm. Um, we care we care for our elders. And so we committed. You know, I, have a lot, I come from a large family. Right. You know, we are only, there's only two girls. Um, and so we made that commitment. And so I've been here. Um, I didn't, and again, um, I, I didn't have the expectation of running this um, amazing black woman-led cultural organization. I, I, again, thank the ancestors for that. But I will say that, you know, my learning, my leadership comes from my family. Right comes from my from the home that I came up with it comes from my parents comes from my my father who was a leader in um, his religious um, community but a leader nonetheless and the ability to develop the skills that I have the skills and the love for family and love for black people and so all the work that we do really is just about growing family growing community, helping people find home, um, find belonging, find place, um, black people in particular. Um, and that's what we do. Can you tell us a little bit more about Spirit House? It's a unique space and a unique organization. And from my experience, it seeks to do things in its own with its own particular blueprint and its own particular um, imprint. It doesn't seek to just be a, a copy of things that are going on in other spaces. But please tell me a little bit um, and tell us um, a little bit more about the, the, the way in which you end up engaging with community in such a unique way through Spirit House. Yeah. So Spirit House, ironically, I am not one of the founders of Spirit House. Um, Spirit House started in 1999 with a, a group of artists and culture workers who started on the campus of Duke University um, where the, the students and some of the local artists would do work on the campus, um, just poetry readings and just producing and creating art for themselves and for the community, but also understood that they needed to take that work off of off campus. Um, and it actually began modeled after um, a spirit house in that was in Newark, New Jersey, that was founded by Amiri Baraka. Right. Um, and um, Baraka had the spirit house with spirit house players, and the goal was to use um, art and culture right. um, to support the community, to, to support the, the community's love and growth and doing the work that they needed to do to meet their needs. Um, and so uh, from a place of power right understanding the power that already existed mm. so when I came into Spirit House um, it was you know I, I met the, I, I worked in a in a store here in a coffee in the coffee shop of a store Whole Foods and I uh, this group of black people beautiful black people would come in and pull tables together and mm. sit down for some real intense looking meeting and I never knew what it was about uh, you know all natural locks and, and afros mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was but I was so envious 
And one day, the founder of Spirit House came up to me as I was behind the counter and said, when the revolution happens, will you be ready? And I said, absolutely, absolutely, I'm ready now. And that is how I got connected with the organization. Um, And I learned a lot um, as as the organization existed at the time. And when the founder was um, moving on to do other work and offered um, for me to be in the position of leadership and said, you know, the only thing that I ask you to do is to continue, you know, supporting the mission that we created the organization under, which is, again, about creating the space for black people to meet their needs, understanding our power, meeting our needs, um, and, and definitely understanding the power of our culture. Right. Um, and so that is the mission of the organization. Since then, we've grown, we've incorporated a lot of, a lot of healing work. Um, because we understand what racism has done to our people, you know, generationally, and mm-hmm. understanding that the healing work is necessary, but always, 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 it's from a, from a place of understanding how powerful we are, because we understand that, you know, white supremacy has uh, has conditioned us to believe that we don't have any power right. at the same time that they are copying um, everything about us, um, that they're capitalizing off of our culture. So our work is for us to, again, understand our power, believe in ourselves, believe in our power to heal, believe in the fact that nothing moves without us. Right. Everything is about us. Everything is about us. Um, but the way that the, what has happened is the dominant culture has stripped it away from us, commodified it, and then fed it back to us. Mm. Um, but if they didn't ha- have us to feed it back to, they would have nothing. And so we need for our people to understand that this is already ours. Right. And it shouldn't be commodified. And that, that's, and that, and that you know, our culture, our family, our love, um, we need more uh, energy and power and love poured into that in order for us to um, meet the meet our needs and live free, abundant lives. And so really, we make art. We heal. We do sure. healing work. We don't, we don't heal people because we know that folks have everything that they need within their ancestor, ancestral knowledge and technologies in our own body. Wonderful. To heal our to heal ourselves but what we try to do is create the space for that to happen for people to step into their own power and for that to happen and it's true that doesn't happen all over the place people don't do that kind of work thank you so much um i also want to shine a light on your leadership from a perspective of looking across our generations it's a theme that we've um we've dipped into on this podcast before and particularly in this era of the pandemic, how important is it for us to maintain links across generations such that the knowledge that you have um, is not just passed on, but is built upon um, in, coming, in, coming, in the coming generations? So that's, that's cultural, right? So it's, again, a part of our cultural um 
knowledge and our cultural toolkit that was stripped away from us. So I think what I want to say is that I or we don't do anything that hasn't been done before right. for generations. And it's really important that we share that. You know, capitalism um, sustains itself by sharing out a narrative that makes people think that they came up with something new. Mm. That it's that that is that yours, that it's your knowledge, that you're the first person and that you that therefore you have ownership of it and you get to commodify it and sell it. But that's just absolutely not true. I am doing the work that my ancestors did and that they continue to remind me to do and move and it's with their blessing. Um, and my hope and goal is that when I am an ancestor, that will also continue to happen with the people who are still embodied here. And so mm. it's, a, it's a knowledge that you have to carry in your body and you have to honor. Like, again, you know, culturally, we are taught to respect and honor our elders. I, I, I always give this example, you know, when these been, some of the young people out here are like pushing for like, it's, it's about the youth voice and the youth and the young people should be in the front and it's, it's about us. And I'm like, yeah, well, go to your family reunion and tell your grandmother to go. Mm. Like, when, when would you do that? Right. Absolutely. You wouldn't do that. So don't do it here. Sure. Um, that again is a a way of continuing to keep us um, destabilized. It doesn't even happen in capitalism. Like, here's the thing is that actually it with the people who are in power, it's not how it works. It's not what they do. The people who run everything are older people um, behind the curtain. Mm. So it's really important that we are true to our culture. It doesn't mean that we have to to do the, you know, there's ways that's not the, like, children should be seen and not heard. It's not mm-hmm. that mentality at all. But it's also not elders should be relegated to rocking chairs and being quiet. <laughs> that's a that's, beautiful you know, phrase. Yeah. So, we're, you know, so we, we are in a constant, uh, constantly combating that. So my co-director in Spirit House is 29 years old. Wow. It's been my co-director for two years. Spirit House did not, when I took over running the organization, I didn't have a co-director, but that was an intentional shift for us that we decided, I mean, first of all, Maya has been a part of Spirit House since she was 15. Right. So she, has been, she has over 10 years of knowledge in the organization. It's time for her to become a co-director. Right. To understand everything that's happening so that when I retire or move to some other position in the organization, she has everything that she needs to run it for another 20 years for when she then passes it on. That's so outstanding. Like it's, a practice. it's a practice for us. That's outstanding. Um, and I share, yeah. I, 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 I asked that question sort of in a leading way, but it, re- it reminds me of something that happened when I was a young person in England growing up in Manchester, that um, when I started to attend community meetings, I didn't really understand what, what uh, some of the leadership were doing. But leaders from different spaces, in, um, from community centres, youth outreach programmes, church groups and so on, started to say, yeah, sit in on this meeting. Um 
you know, come and come and take some notes here with me. And I didn't really understand what they were doing. But what they were beginning to say is, you've got to start understanding how some of these things work so that you are going to be fitted for the positions you may be holding in the future. And I say that to, to, to suggest that one of the challenges I see that we have is that example you gave there of Maya is building that ecosystem, building that environment that someone can grow in. So, so it's not just the fact that Maya came along and she was a, a part of the Spirit House for over 10 years, but there was a trajectory, there was a direction, there was the ability for, for Maya and others to grow within the organization. Because quite frankly, if that wasn't the case, would Maya and others even retain a connection with the organization? They may find other things um, to do. Um, so I think it's so it's a huge blessing. So bless you. And it's a huge blessing that the organization continues to maintain and looks to do that level of work. Because guess what? That type of work doesn't take a, a month or six months or even a year. It doesn't take the length of a grant cycle. <laughs> As you've illustrated, building leaders and building for the future requires a decade or more. It requires real serious engagement over the long term. And it's an important lesson because many of us can be frustrated by the limitations of what we experience in community. But oftentimes, we're looking at the short term or the medium term rather than the long term right. in terms right. of the type of change we need. Yeah. One of the things the young people who are part of the, the, the tribe is like my, they've been here since they were, you know, 13, 14, 15, and some went away to college. Um, and they're back, and they don't all work like they, they don't necessarily get their resources from Spirit House because they, again, went to college and they are pursuing careers that they wanted to pursue, but they still sure. consider themselves a part of Spirit House, and they consider themselves as only. So, two years or two, yeah, like December of 2019, I lose track of time with COVID, but um, as we were preparing to do one of our um, events, they all basically came together and was like, we're grown now. Like, understand right. that we're not 15 and that you have, you, Mama Nia, have to trust us. Like, we're committed to Spirit House. We're committed to it, to it, you know, sustaining it for the next 20 years. So you also need to trust us and let us work with you so that it can happen. And mm -hmm. they did that. They came to right. me, but that's because they were committed to the fact that for more than 10 years, we were part of the They understand that they went off to college in part, not, and this is not to take away the work of their families, right. um, but in part was because they also had this other thing that they belonged to that they knew they could be a part of forever and that when they came home we were still here mm. and that they still belonged like and that that you know it didn't mean everybody had like i said back to work here but they feel very and, and so for me like that experience is it's it, it, that day when we had that conversation it kind of took me aback and then i realized that 
they had already put me in a different position. So yes, mm-hmm. I am the co-director, but I'm in a different position because they're like, you know, we're going to do the work to make sure that the org- you don't have to do this by yourself anymore. You don't have to just be the only person trying to keep this organization going, that there are, that all of us, because everyone who is in Spirit House, the, the most recent, well, there's someone who just sort of became a member in the past year, but prior to that, you know, people have been here for at least five years. Right. It's not a, it's not transactional. It's not, and that's why it's like, how do I become a member? Well, like, it's not that easy. Like, you got to be around for a long time. Mm. We've done a lot of work, and we built something that is precious. And, you know, if you don't understand that it's that, and that comes also probably with understanding what it means to be connected ancestrally. Mm-hmm. It shifts the way that you look at, at time, you know, so we don't feel desperate in the, in the, in this current moment. And we're not transactional. I, I learned, I had a conversation with a, with someone who was talking to me about a conversation they had with an indigenous American person and they asked how the community with all that the, the indigenous people in this, in this country have been through, mm. how do they keep fighting? Right. The, the, chief, the chief said, because their timeline is different than what this country has taught. They yeah. understand all of their past and they also know that there's a future. And right. so they don't have to fight in the same way as if this moment is the only moment. Um, and that, you know, that is also part of the spiritual, you know, the spiritual background lineage that I understand now because of, you know, practicing the, the traditional spirituality that I practice now. You know, I mm. learned that through that practice and we also try to emulate that out into our communities. Not 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 expecting people to necessarily, you know, adapt the same spiritual practices, but understanding that we're all more than just this Right. Indeed. That, that there's a past and there's a future and that we can continue to be connected to that. Can I ask you, just shifting gears for a moment, um, can I ask you something about how your commitment to for me, uh, an environment that that is artistic, that is spiritual, that is about healing, um, and is about how we how we come together. How that links in with the the current um, feelings that uh, people in community will have about politics, and I say that with a small piece. I'm 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 asking less about the politics of the national situation. But I understand you're very engaged in the events taking place in in the localities around Durham. How does that does that work, and does that perspective that you have um, on the small p politics in and around Durham link in with the the, the spiritual, artistic, and uh, and dimensions of healing that are in this work of Spirit House? Um, I think because it's about transformation rather than transaction. So if we are going to transform our communities, we have to transform ourselves individually, right? We can't do one without the other. We've been conditioned to believe one thing that's not true. 
Um, and so in order to deprogram our, we have to deprogram ourselves in order to deprogram our community. Okay. Um, and, and so, um, that is the primary work. Now, so when, when we do that or when we begin that work, then we get to say to the community, well, what do you want? And now that you understand that you have this power, now that you understand that, uh, you know, for instance, the mayor isn't God, um, he's there because, you know, he was elected and you actually have the right to say something to him, what do you want? Um, and then let's go talk to him. And so we don't do, a, and, and we have a belief that everyone has the ability to, to transform, which is not necessarily what you see out here with the political fights that are happening, right? Right. One against the other, it's, you know, and so therefore you don't listen to the other side because they're 100% wrong, right? But spiritually, we know that we're all here on our own journey. Yep. And that we all have ancestors who love us. We also all have family members who love us. So if I see someone as a person who has ancestors who love them, family who love them, I cannot see them as just a wrong person. Right. As an evil individual. I have to hope that they have somewhere in them the ability to transform so that we can work together for what we all want and need. And then, again, because of our spiritual practice, I also have to believe that it's also not up to me only to ensure that they transform, that there are ancestors there, that there are other uh, family or other people there, that I'm only one or we are only one component in possibly helping that transformation to happen. And so it's even the, even here when we've had some very adversarial moments, and I mean, Mm. I'll be honest, if Durham is a very privileged place to be, most people are progressive on on a continuum of progressiveness. So, you know, some people may be a little bit more conservative than others, but they still consider themselves progressive politically. And can can I just say that that's in no small part because of people like yourself and also because of movements like Spirit House. So it didn't just happen by accident and isn't just maintained by accident. So the impact that you all have had as a tribe, as a force in that area is clear. And it, and it resonates, it reverberates um, through the streets of Durham and beyond. So it doesn't just happen by accident. So all of the, uh, the times where you've shared with people in community through the tears, through the tragedies, through people's deaths, um, through, through holding events where you create altar spaces and all of the things that you do, guess what? That has an impact. People feel it. And you don't necessarily have to be in the Spirit House tribe to feel it. You don't necessarily have to be a person of African origin to feel it. You feel it. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And, so, and it, so then it shifts like this idea, again, that we can only worry about what's happening in the moment. Like, we can't work from election cycle to election cycle. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Because at any time, at any given moment, things could shift. I mean, look at where things are right now nationally. Who would have thought 
you know, that we would be here, but we are. And so, you know, there are people who have to, or who are doing that work to try to shift what happens as on November, you know, um, of this election in November. That's not, that's not our role. Does it mean that we won't vote? Absolutely not. We will vote. And are we encouraging people to vote? Absolutely we are. We do a little piece of that work, but it's only as a tool to us getting to the liberation and the life that we're supposed to get to. And of course, what I tell people all the time is, you know, you know I'm a prison abolitionist. And so people go, what do you mean? Amen. Prisons? And I said, that Amen. may not happen in my lifetime. Amen. That will most likely not happen in my lifetime, but the work that I do today is in service of that vision for my grandchildren's grandchildren. Right. And that is the way that I see my work, which means that I can I can do it in a way that doesn't say close all the prisons today, let everybody out, and we don't have any resources or any accountability tools. We haven't learned anything different. If we haven't learned anything different, we're just, you could close all the prisons today, and two years from now, you'll have them again. Mm. It may look different, but you'll have them again because Mm. you haven't learned anything different. You haven't practiced anything different. You haven't created anything different. Um, And so we're going to go back to what we know. And I'm not interested in going back to what we know. Spirit House isn't interested in going back to what we know. So we're building the different things. And we we, we probably won't see the, the full... The full fruits. In our in our in our physical lifetime, hopefully, I will. My name will be being called as an ancestor, and I will be able to witness it. Asha, that's beautiful. And as uh, as we come to round up right now, this time has flown by with you. Um, So thank you so much. Um, It strikes me we wouldn't be correct to not speak with you a little bit about breath work and its importance to your day to day. Um, practice and how you live and and I'll just say this uh, one of the things that I want people to appreciate when they listen um, to somebody like uh, Mama Nia is you don't get to be in the position that she is for the decades that she has been without understanding the need to preserve yourself, without, not dis- without understanding the need to look after yourself, without understanding the need for, you, for the necessity for your own space and time and healing and so on. Um, that leadership doesn't just happen by, I've took a course or I've got a master's degree or I've got a PhD or, uh, you know, um, you know I've, I've been appointed to this, to this job. Because the real test of leadership is, can you actually lead and can you actually stay in that state and in that position for some time and you've been able to to do that and uh, to maintain um not just the organization but the people within it well so please say for a moment something about um why breath work and 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 share a little bit of 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 what it is and why it's important to you please okay yeah so um Again, as a black person, I understand that I was born into an oppressive system that um, I carry in my body, um, and that scientifically has been shown now, epigenetics, um, the trauma that my ancestors have endured. I also carry the freedom of the ancestors prior to any trauma. All of that lives absolutely lives in the body and we cannot access that by thinking it it's just not possible to do sure. 
um, it has to be accessed through moving things through the body. And so breath work, and, and as people who are also, first of all, have inherited those things and are also experiencing our own traumas on top of that, um, trauma makes us hold our breath. Sure. Um, we do all kinds of things to avoid pain. So we stop breathing, we hold our breath, um, and then we and then we hold we hold in the trauma. It doesn't ever leave our body. Mm. So the breath work is the work of being able to release the trauma, both the trauma that we have endured and to also heal the trauma of our ancestors. So that as our children are born, they are not born with the same um, level of trauma. Like the only way for us to shift those epigenetic markers is to heal them. Mm. And um, my ancestors, you know, a couple of years ago, I was sitting um, at a retreat and, you know, feeling very sad and feeling like I was, uh, I was not only holding the trauma of my ancestors, but that I was, it was holding me back. Mm -hmm. And they basically said to, to me, absolutely not. Hmm. <laughs> you know, I was sitting and, the, and, and it came to me, it was like, absolutely not. That's not why you're here. We don't need you to do that for us. We love you. We don't need you to hold our trauma in your body. We love you. And so we need you to do the work of releasing it. Of letting it go we are not experiencing it right now and we need you to do the work of releasing it and letting it go and that is why the breath work has been so important to me mm. because it's not just even about what i am healing from it is about the fact that i got a directive that said we need you to do the work and to show people how to do the work of letting go what you were born with because it was our trauma, but you don't need to hold it. You were born with it, but you don't need to hold it. And so, you know, while we do all this other work politically and, and educationally, you know, understanding our histories and, and creatively creating art, um, the work of healing is equally important. That's not work that's funded most of the time because uh, philanthropy doesn't see that as valuable. They're just beginning to. And, mm. I, and I will say that part of that is also because we pushed it. Mm. We, 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 we say it. It is written in our grants that we are healing ourselves, that, that we have the right to heal, and that we are, and that's part of our work. And so philanthropy is beginning to change too. Um, but yeah, it really is about the fact that it is a directive from our ancestors. They don't want us to hold the trauma in our bodies. Mm -hmm. They don't want that for us. They love us. That's and right. so we have to do the work of releasing it. And the breath work is one of the ways of doing it, as is dance and movement and singing. Um, all of those things that um, help us to breathe bigger and help there to be um, a, a, a flow of air. Um, are the things that we need to do well um bless you and thank you so much for your time and for sharing um these wonderful insights incredible insights on breathing below the waves i want to close with some words from um from james baldwin um not everything that is faced can be changed but nothing can be changed until it is faced 
Thank you so much. We appreciate you. Thank you. Take care. Be well. Thank you.